0: How many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? Two. One to call the electrician, and the other one to complain about how much you like the old one. How many Amish does it take to change a light bulb? What's a light bulb? How many Lutherans? My grandmother gave that light bulb. I said, My grandmother gave that light bulb. How many Baptists does it take to change the light bulb? Probably around 15. You've got to have two different committees, one to decide who's going to change the light bulb and the other to organize the potato salad. (laughs) How many Presbyterians does it take to change the light bulb? Change? (laughs) Equal opportunity offender this morning. If you had to change one thing about you, if you were able to change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Close your eyes. What would that be? What's that one thing that you've been struggling with to change? You know, I think we all do struggle with with the idea that, uh, that with new life, there is this change. And we're somewhere in the middle of the movie on, on a change of heart and a change of our lives. And I know that there's some frustration with each one of us when it comes to changing certain habits and certain patterns and even certain things about yourself that you do not like. Is change really possible the story of change from John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that had been made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which God gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from the fullness, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side He has made him known. Let's pray together. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in thy sight. Amen. What is that one thing? That one thing that you would change if you could? What is that one thing? I think in our frustration, what we end up doing is we try to focus our attention on other people. We get frustrated with the change we would love to see in ourselves. Did I say that again? Did I do that again? You've got to be kidding me. Am I still dealing with this? I think I'll focus on somebody else. And here's how this often goes. Just wait till we get married. Then I'll really go to work on him. Oh, maybe if I just talk and 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 talk then maybe she'll do it differently. Oh, I know what it is. You know, I'll drop some hints or maybe I'll do some chores. At, maybe I'll just model the kind of behavior I want to see and, and, and then quietly through subtle manipulation, there will be change. That's what we end up doing. You're saying, Tim, you're stomping all over my toes. No, I'm stepping on my toes. If this happens to be uh, you too, then come along with me as we look at what makes change possible. Three things. We can change. We can change. When we understand what's happening in this passage, that there's a problem, and there's a point of change, and there's a process of change. Here's the problem. The problem, the point, and the process. Here's the problem. The problem with change is this. We don't really want to change. You see how I smile when I deliver the difficult news? We don't really want to change. That's the problem. Here's what we want to do. We want to just add. We don't want to change. Change means like I take something and It's gone, and then there's a new thing in its place. It's trading. It's exchange. The problem is we don't want to do that. We want to add. We want to say, Lord, add your life to my life. Add icing on top of my mud pie here. All right? just, Just sprinkle some of that goodness on top of all of my mess, and, uh, and, then, and then we're good. You know, a lot of times, we, this is what we think. We think, you know, I really want to get up and exercise, but you know what? I, I don't want to stop watching that Netflix series. I mean, you know, the, the next round just came out on December 8th, and I just, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, and some of you know which one I'm talking about. So, you know, some of you say, "You know, I want I want to clean up my closet, but I don't want to get rid of that stuff. I just can't let go of those T-shirts. You know, that, that that's that's a memory. I can't get." I, I. Some of some of you some of you say, "You know, I really want to get along with this person, but I cannot stop sharing my opinion. I just can't stop sharing my opinion with that person. It's going to change their life. I want to get along. We don't want to change. We want to add." Sometimes when I'm talking to couples, and I may have said this at a wedding here, uh, it, it's the illustration of a densely populated city compared to a person. You see, when you put two lives together, God is at work doing something new. And I've said this, it, it, when, when, when you put two lives together, it's like, it's like you're deciding to build something new in a densely populated city. For something new to be built, something old must come down. And see, what, th- th- this is what's happening here in this passage. What's being proclaimed is new life. New life. Not in addition to life, but new life. A lot of times what we think of is we think, you know what, Lord, I'm doing pretty well. I know I need a Savior. Will you be my Savior? And the problem is that what we need is new life. We need Jesus as Lord. You see, what, what, what's happening here is, is Jesus is, is, is saying through the scriptures, what, what John is proclaiming is that Jesus came, the word came, and dwelt. Now that word is, is kind of a strange word. The word, uh, you know, th- there's, a, there's a, a thing called the Septuagint. And that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the same word that's used here in the Greek is used in the Old Testament for tabernacle. <laughs> tabernacle. That the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Last week I talked about the tabernacle. And the fact that, that the priest would not enter into the Holy of Holies. That, that what would happen is they would, they would offer the prayers on, on the altar of incense and it would go up over the top of the curtain and into the, the, of the area of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Right? Moses, when he, he he wanted to face God, but God said, You cannot face me and and survive it. And so what, what is Emmanuel? But but God saying, I, I am the Lord who would dwell with his people. How can that happen? It doesn't happen by God just adding his life to ours, it happens by him exchanging life for life. Apart from the life of Christ, we die. That's why Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's life for life. It's what's happening in, in the, the Christmas Carol story with Scrooge. What a great name, Scrooge. I love that. I mean, you can't come up with a worse, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Scrooge. This is a man who was pretty Scroogey. And a man who was confronted with his Scrooginess, who was taken to his very grave and, and shown. The moment, taken to that moment of his death. As if to say, what is your life really all about? Whose life are you living? And what Scrooge is all about is a little more and a little more and a little more. And what what the scripture here is saying is... It's, it's kind of a metaphor using life for life. You see, what, what he's saying is that a new life needs to be your life. And that means that, well, it's, it's a little like this. It's like there's a, a throne. I was hoping this would go a little smoother and and it's kind of like the human will it's like the executive chair of your life and someone's going to sit there and scrooge is saying it's me i am the captain of my fate i'm the lord of my soul and so when John is talking about new life, it's, it's kind of a metaphor. On one level, it's a metaphor that there is a different force, a different executive, a different Lord that is vying for your life. But it's also reality. It's to say, with Scrooge, as he begins to say, I give up. I cannot save myself. I mess things up. I've messed myself up, my relationships. Lord, take this seat. It's life for life. Can the scriptures be any clearer than that? And yet, the problem persists, that even though maybe you've made some profession of faith, we continue to grip our lives. And, and so there has to be a point and another point and another point where we're seeing that, that God is indeed bringing change, that you're different from what you used to be. You're not everything you could be, but you're different. And so the problem needs a point, and a point, and a point. Points in your life, not just once upon a time, one day and date when you walked the aisle or prayed some prayer, but to say, "Lord, you are you are. I, I am. I am shifting out of this chair, and you're taking the place, your life, for my life." How does that happen? What is that point? How does change happen? Well, it happens this way. It happens when the pain of staying the same becomes less than the pain of facing change. Let me say it a different way. It happens when the pain of the prospect of change looks better than staying put. (laughs) How about that? It's a little bit like when someone has chronic pain, maybe it's a shoulder or back or something and 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 they're being warned you know if uh, you know it, it, as as one of the surgeons in our congregation said, "I know I can make you worse <laughs> and so and so you kick the can down the road of 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 having that surgery of having that surgery because you want to make sure that That if you're going to undergo surgery, there's going to be an improvement. Do you see the illustration? Do you see the image? You see, the pain of staying put, sometimes it feels better than the prospect of change. And so we have to pursue what John is using as the light. The light in contrast to the shadows where we like to stay. We like to stay partially in the chair on the throne of our own lives. We like to stay, okay, Lord, I've made a commitment, but I'm going to keep these few things in the shadows here. And, you know, I can tell in my own life, I can tell in your life, I can tell by the emotional reactions that you're not done, that I'm not fully baked yet. There are parts of, of our lives that we're keeping in the shadows, and it comes out in our reactions to one another. Verses 6 through 11, it talks about light and light and light and light and light. It's saying increasingly you and I need to come to points in our lives where we are willing to take the shadow and shine a light upon it. Scrooge says Scrooge says to to the uh the ghost of Christmas present why do you delight in torturing me It's like that old song from the 70s you got to be cruel to be kind Now you're going to be singing it for the rest of the week you're welcome Showing us our shadows requires bringing us light but when you're, you're being, you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What's happening is you're not just being shown shadows. You're being given more light. And so to see the, the ugliness of your life that remains. To see what part of you is sitting on the throne. To see the, the lingering brokenness is not Just to be shown your shadowy self. It's to be presented with more light. Don't run from it. The the, the first experience that you had where you trusted Him applies and it applies and applies. Someone said, We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, every day. And so then, when you get when when you get to a place where you recognize the problem and the problem lingers, right? And you get to the place where you recognize there needs to be a point where you're willing to let the shadows have light expose them to put something on the table. You know, a lot of you. Know, let me put it this way: a lot of times uh, when when people are in conflict, they'll say you know, they'll say, "Should I talk to him about this thing?" And and this is what I say almost every time. Okay, every time I say yes. No, you should talk to everybody else. No, you should should just sit there and fester about it. You should just sit there and stew about it. Don't talk about those things that are bothering you. That helps. That helps a lot. Yes, every time. Yes, put it on the table. Why? Because on the table, it's brought into the light. You know, I'm, I'm in the people business, right? You guys know that, right? And so, like... Every week I see this, every single week, every single day. There are people who are hiding in the shadows. And we're not dealing with each other, and we're not dealing with ourselves. And it keeps us emotionally babies, babes. We have to continue with the process. And so it it looks a little like this. It looks like a story that I read recently about two hands on one boy. When I was a little boy, I liked to have my face and hands clean, but I had no love for the process by which they had to become clean. And many times I assumed that they were clean, when an unbiased observer might have held a different opinion. And my sons, when they were small, they liked cold water about as well as their father did in his youth. But my little grandson is a miracle of cleanliness, and he loves to have his face and hands washed. That is to say, he loves our little joke. Well, what little joke? I'm going to tell you about the little joke. It came about this way. The little lad had come to visit me and my wife, and he arrived in time for lunch, and I said, Let's go wash your hands. And he said, They need no washing. Then I said, Let me wash one hand to see how the other looks beside it. So I washed the one hand, and then I placed his two hands side by side, and he said, Let us see whether they both belong to the same boy. And when we looked at them together, he agreed with me that those two hands could not belong to the same boy. Then I said, Shall we wash the other one? That will make the two hands look alike? And he said, let us wash the other hand. And when I had done it, he said, now the two hands belong to the same boy. And he was right about it. Then said I, let us see if we can match the two clean hands with a clean face. And then I said, your face is very clean. Let's see if we can comb your hair. And now we have done this many times since the first day and it has become a very pleasant joke with us and a merry game. And in this way, we make progress in life. For the job of reforming any of us is too large for a single contract. But now and then we discover that we have improved a little in one particular area and then sometimes have grace enough to wash the one hand to make it match the virtue we, pres- we possess. And if the process continues long enough, there's hope that in time we may come so that the whole of us shall match ourselves at our best. You see, this is the meaning of Christmas. It's the right to become children of God again. It's the right to say, I'm not on the throne anymore, Lord. It's the, the power to say, God, bring me the, the, the places in my life. Yes, show me. Let me go all the way down, all the way down to the places that need washing. Show me myself. It's, it's to lean into the project of change with great hope, not grieving, but with great hope that God has already prevailed in the hardest place, and that is the place of human will, who's in charge of my life. And so it's why that great hymn writer, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, said this, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hoped to be in another world, but still, I'm not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let us pray. Holy God, how we thank you for the beauty of this season and the promise of this season and the hope of this season. As we think back upon that one thing that we would change about ourselves, Lord, Would you meet us in the place where, underneath that need, there's a will that resists yours. And we pray, Lord, with all the angels, thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.